Hi friends, this is Dr. Michael Williams, and welcome back to another episode of the Diversify Empath podcast. This podcast explores how investing in diversity can lead to a high return of investment in pathology and laboratory medicine by learning from the knowledge and experiences of diverse voices within our field. My next guest is Dr. Keenan Smith. Dr. Smith was raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and attended college at Middle Tennessee State University, where he majored in psychology, minors in both general science and criminology. After graduating, he began working as a data analyst for Hospital Corporation of America, one of the largest healthcare systems in the United States. In pursuit of his dream to be a physician, he enrolled in a postback program at Case Western Reserve University, where he earned his master's degree in medical physiology. He went on to enroll in medical school at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, where he graduated in May of 2021. He is now a PGY-1 pathology resident at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and is still undecided about fellowships and is currently focused on becoming a great resident. Without further ado, here's Dr. Keenan Smith. Hi again, friends. This is Dr. Michael Williams. I'm back again with another episode of the Diversifying Path podcast. So I'm here with my next guest. So can you tell us who you are, where you are from, and your pronouns? Yes. So my name is Keenan Smith. I am a PGY1 at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Um, I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and my pronouns are he, him, and his. Okay. And um, like I do with everybody else, can you tell us how you got into medicine, and then eventually pathology? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I was one of those people that got exposed to pathology from a TV show. So Dr. G, medical examiner, um, she was a Mm -hmm. medical examiner in Florida, and I just was really so intrigued by all of her cases and just the show. I would always sort of skip weekend plans because the show, I think, came on on Fridays, and I would just always stay in on Fridays to watch the show on Discovery (laughs) Channel, and I thought it was, like, super cool how she Mm. relayed science and medicine to crime and the law, and I thought that was, like, the coolest thing ever because those are sort of things I've always been interested in. So, um, and then I always thought I wanted to be a doctor. I had no doctors in my family, but I just thought it was a really cool profession. Um, So I went to undergrad with uh, inspirations to go to medical school. I didn't have the best advisement in, med- in in undergrad, so I didn't really know the route to get to medical school. So I had to take the non-traditional route. Um, and then after I graduated, worked for a few years, did a post back uh, to try to get into med school to better my scores, uh, do more practice for the MCAT, things like that, and uh, ultimately got in in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went into med school thinking I want to do pathology. And then I got talked out of pathology by all of the all of the haters, I'll say that that the haters just, <laughs> that <think> pathology <laughs> is just you know sitting in a dark room or sitting in a room by yourself, not talking mm-hmm. to anyone, or just solely working on you know dead bodies, as they like to say, and just being asocial and not having a social life or not being a friendly person or anything. So I kind of bought into those stereotypes um, until I did my mm-hmm. first pathology rotation, realized that they didn't know what they were talking about. Pathology is Uh a coolest specialty. You talk with people all day long. You coordinate with other providers. You can talk to patients sometimes, depending on, you know, the field you're in. 
And uh, once I saw that, I was sort of reinvigorated to pursue my dream of, of being a pathologist. All right. So here I am now as a, as a first year resident. Yes. You know, the, I, I um, always try to break down, um, you know, the stories that I, that I hear from the guests because I always think they're sort of interesting. And I kind of wanted to go back to when you were an undergraduate and you said that you weren't given sort of the best advice and you had to take a non-traditional route. So can you tell us more about like, like what that experience was, especially for those who are probably, who may be in college and um, considering medical school, they maybe they're not getting as much um, exposure or maybe I say advice to what they should do. Like what, what was things that you were not told or how was your, I guess, experience during undergraduate? Yeah, so I didn't go to an undergraduate that was affiliated with a medical school, um, say like undergraduates at Penn, where I'm at a resident, where they have a medical school attached and they have advisors and they can speak to medical students. Um, I didn't have any of that. So our advisors, our pre-med advisors, were just um, advisors that really had no connection with any med school. So they didn't really know, you know, some of the things that it took to actually get into med school. So for instance, they, you know, we go in as freshmen and they tell us that you have to major in biology or chemistry, um, that you have to do all this upper level bio courses or chem courses to make it to med school. And that just wasn't true. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I started off by taking these hard science classes, realizing that, oh, I'm not prepared for this because I didn't go to an academically challenging high school. I went to, you know, went to a public school in Tennessee, which is mm-hmm. not known for having the best schools. So I go to college and I'm, I'm not prepared to do the science courses. Um, and I didn't know that I didn't have to do them my first my freshman year of college because I didn't have to be a biology major or a biochem major or a chemistry major. I could have majored in anything. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up switching my major to psychology because that's what I was interested in. And I was able to take, you know, social sciences, but still science classes. And then I was able to minor in, in general science where I could fulfill my pre-med courses and I only found this out because I was reading sort of the course catalog and the things on my own. It wasn't by any guidance from any of my advisors. And so that was, you know, that was one of the big things that I felt was detrimental to my track. Um, mm-hmm. And then just there was no real guidance on how to prepare for the MCAT, how to prepare for medical school applications. So the first time I took the MCAT was, I think, August and I was going to try to apply after that. And so now we're talking three, four months after the med school applications opened. And at that point, I was already, you know, I had no chance of applying, of, yeah. of being accepted after applying that late. I was applying in like October when deadlines for med schools were late October or November. So I really had no shot to even get into med school my first time around because I had no guidance to tell me, hey, when the application opens in June, your application needs to be submitted. So you need to take the MCAT maybe April, maybe May, so you can have your score back. Or, you know, take the MCAT in July, submit in June, and then you'll have your score back when your application's out. But you need to get your application out early. You need to apply to many schools. This is how much it costs to apply to this many schools. I didn't have any of that. Like I said, nobody in my family was doctors. None of my friends were going to med school. Um, So I had, I was literally going in blind. And then I was just relying on these advisors to tell me these things that I need to do to get done. But um, ultimately ended up being bad advice uh, so I just had to um, finish and then do the non-traditional route and sort of had to navigate the world on my own after 
right. uh, after yeah. felling to get in the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess I get, I wanted to, um, you know, in part for, let say pre-meds who are listening or high school students um, who may be listening. Cause I feel like we have like kind of similar experiences, more of like not getting in the first time and then trying to like, what do I do now? Because that was like my plan A and like that plan A is like out the window. Like, what do I do? For those listening, you eventually find your way. It just unfortunately takes a bit longer than what others who may have gone quote unquote the traditional route of getting into med school right after undergraduate. Um, right. It probably takes a, you know, a bit, but to, but sorry for interrupting and um, disrupting your story though. After that. Um, yeah. Like I just had to, basically get on the internet and just read, 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 read about like success stories and how to get in. So um, it became a lot of self-sufficient experiences to, to make to medical school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're glad that you're, you know, in pathology (laughs) after, you know, that, that, um, you know, that journey. So, Let's go forward and you got into a postback program. So can you tell those who may not be familiar with it, like what a postback program does um, and your journey through it? Yeah. So traditionally postback programs are for those people that want to pursue some career in, um, in health science. So dentistry, PA, uh, MD, DO, things like that. Um, where you can go get either a master's degree or you get some, some, some type of certificate, or you can do a bridge program in which you do a year of essentially medical school coursework with the guarantee if you meet the standards set forth by, um, by the curriculum committee that you would just matriculate into the med school the next year. So where I went to, where I did my post back at Case Western, um, it was a two-year program, which you could do in a year or, or two years, and you would get a master's in medical physiology, and they didn't have any abridged, associated bridge program, so you kind of just had to sort of find your way uh, through the coursework, but they also gave you tips on how to study through the MCAT, how to make your application, things like that, so it's really just an opportunity for you to enhance your uh, your undergraduate experience. If you have like a bad GPA, you can sort of take these higher level science courses to increase your overall science GPA, just to get more exposure to the field. A lot of postback programs have a lot of shadowing incorporated, um, just a lot of experiences to sort of boost your resume um, before going to med school. Um, like I said, some some offers masters, some is just like a one year certificate. Some don't offer anything, but you get a, a guaranteed spot in the med school if you uh, successfully get through the program. You got into medical school, like finally after the postdoc program and then, you know, started. And I wanted to kind of hear your experiences. One, with the doing the postback program, did you feel, I guess, prepared for the coursework um, that medical school had to offer? And then the second is, uh, you know, the intersection of like race and medicine and you entering medical school as a black male. Um, I wanted to hear, I guess, those experiences um, from you since I know everybody has different experiences. And again, I always say that everybody's experiences are not the same. Um, sure. But I always like hearing, you know, what people's experiences are um, for people to hear. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll address the first question first. And um, where I did my post back, it was a very rigorous program. And like I said, it was a master's in medical physiology. So we did 
honestly, the physiology that we did in that grad program was more in depth than what the physiology we did was in medical school. So um, it really taught me how to be a better student, which was another thing that I got out of undergrad and probably was not prepared to do. If I, I think if I had gone straight from undergrad to medical school, I would not have, I don't know if I would have failed out, but I definitely think I would have had a much more challenging time adapting to the curriculum if I had not gone to the postback program, which is another good reason to, to do that if you're considering um, a postback program is to sort of prepare you for the gauntlet that is medical school because it's so different than undergrad. Um, I can't even quantify or qualify how different it is and you really can't express how it is until you get there. Um, but it's just very different. But I felt like that um, program prepared me to at least know how to study, at least handle like the workload. Um, even I still had to adjust when I got there, but uh, it yeah. definitely prepared me more than it would have if I had just gone straight through from undergrad. Mm -hmm. And okay. so the second part of that question, you know, being a black man in my medical school, and I went to medical school in Charleston, South Carolina, and there were only four black men in my class. So I get there and there's only one, I'm one of four, which is already, uh, which was crazy to me, but I had already known that there's just not a lot of black people in medicine. Honestly, right. I was, yeah. I thought I would go in and I would be the only black person. Um, I have mm -hmm. several friends who, who are in medical school who, or who finished who were, they were the only black male in their class or the only black person in their class. Um, so I was fortunate that that was not my experience. Um, I was one of four black men, but we had, I think, eight black women in my class, all of with all of who I'm close with. Um, we're all close um, as a community just because, you know, we sort of formed together. We created a group me like as soon as we got there yeah, um, mm -hmm. just to basically mm -hmm. have an open space with each other that we could basically just share our experiences as we we're going through it. Because being in the South, you know, things are just different down there um, in terms of almost everything, how people think, how people interact, how things are taught. Um, so it was just nice to have that group of people that sort of could understand what I was feeling and going through the challenge mm -hmm. of medical school altogether. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to say that like definitely had that similar experience too, where it was like um, in, in the, in the, in the class and it was just very striking to, you know, to see that. And, you know, you, you think, Oh, finally I got here and, and I got into medicine and, you know, you're going forward, but then, you know, when you think about it retrospectively, at least for me, it's like, wow, like the, the whole population is only like five or six or, you know, a handful of us that are there. And like, you know, we're not only sitting there representing, um, you know, I guess the success of, I don't know, it feels like it was not a burden, but it felt like, like a, and like you, like you, you were put upon in a situation that first was you know academically rigorous, but also that you were also seen as like the the success of of black people in America, and also right. you know this dual identity of also representing black people to others in medical school who've never interacted with a person of color at all. You know, so you were for me, I felt like I was juggling all this, you know, different like task and stuff and like how to talk, you know, when to talk proper, when to code switch and, and all that stuff. But um, so, yeah, I was like, that's definitely relating to that for sure. Yeah. And I think uh, for me, I think it wasn't so much of an adjustment because I grew up in the South. So 
in my where I went to high school, there wasn't that many black people. So it was constantly I, I was used to being the super minority. Obviously, you know, people of color in this country are the minority, but you know, I was it was very it was very uh it was just emphasized even more where I grew up. Uh there just was not mm-hmm. a lot of black people. Um and then mm-hmm. my undergrad experience was a little different. There were a lot of black people, but there were not a lot of black people doing taking the same courses I was taking. Right. So again, I didn't get to interact with a lot of black people in the sciences. And then when I get to medical school, it was pretty much just the same. And then some of my classmates, you know, they went to HBCU. So I can't even imagine how they felt going, you know, growing up right. in, yeah. you know, the Northeast, going to Howard for undergrad and then coming to Charleston, South Carolina for med school. Um, so, you know, I, I know their experience was a lot different than mine because they sort of had to have this huge adjustment going to med school for, for me, it was just like, oh, it's this again, you know, I'm, I'm used to this. But for them, it was... You know, I can I couldn't imagine being in an all black space and then going to right, the yeah, yeah. black space. Well, you know, it's interesting when we talk about like like northeast and the south because like right now I'm I'm in um, I'm in Birmingham for for fellowship, and I think some people that I'll be surprised like in terms of like adjusting to like a different regional area and I and I tell people I'm like there are places in like you know New York State that are very rural that don't have as much people of color there as well too, where, you know, that's definitely an adjustment. Like I went to school in, in medical school. Like, I went to medical school in New York, in Buffalo. Um, I went to undergraduate in like Buffalo. I did engineering. Like I was the only black person in that class. And so for me, it was just like, okay, here's that adjustment. Um, and then going to medical school was like, oh, okay, here's like more people of color, more black people I can talk to. But like, so for me, it was like, like, I don't know, like, I was there, but, that was being being a northeast, but going to like what you were saying, uh, like where you're going from predominantly like black space, where it's just like you're not in. And for those who you know went to um, historically black college or university, um, you know, I, I definitely I feel like this is where you transition from like that from a from a, a space where you don't have as much where you ha- you don't have to worry about skin color as much maybe or right. like you know the. Uh, microaggressions to a place right. where it's like okay like it's gonna start coming up now but yeah right mm-hmm. and just the external pressure too because i felt like um and you mentioned this earlier sort of being a a representation or being a representative for the black community um mm-hmm. and sort of being held to this higher standard of okay you have to succeed because you're in this space you're representing all of us i felt that sort of subtle but yet external pressure of, of of feeling that and i don't know if if my colleagues that you know go to medical school at, at hpcus feel that same pressure because everyone is there together you know i felt like there were a lot of times where my classmates were looking at me some of my non-black classmates were looking at me like oh well you know he only got in because you know they had to meet a diversity quota or something like that um and I don't, yep. I just don't know if that exists at, at other, in other spaces. So I was constantly having to think about people looking at me, thinking that I didn't belong there, you know, imposter syndrome times, times a hundred in, mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of identity and race, not just in terms of academic and um, intellect. Um, so that was right. another thing that yeah. I sort of was, was thinking about that was hard. Yeah. 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 Like it, you know, it's, I, I've, I've had this like this discussion with other 
like other black physicians about going there and like for even for some of the like the and so some in some of the the senior um attendings who um were in a space in like you know earlier decades and when they come and talk to i guess a younger generation of you know black individuals like for me i remember they were just very like or you have to do four times as better just to get ahead like you know that was drilled over and over and it was just like you have to be superhuman in order to just meet what I guess a human expectation is in a general space. And it was just like kind of crazy how that just perpetuates throughout um, you out like any sort of field where, where if a person of color comes in, it's like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Like the quota, like they're just a quota person. Like, you know, they, 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 it's not because of their skills because of their quota. It's like very frustrating and infuriating to like, feel like you have to continuously combat that as well too and like you know put this other pressures on you in order to like succeed and i you know honestly survive in medical school because it's not really and survive in medical school i'll leave it at that yeah and it's crazy mm-hmm. you know how it sort of perpetuates through other fields too i mean you look at katanji brown jackson that just got confirmed like how mm-hmm. do how do people think that she's not qualified to be mm-hmm. a supreme court justice you know, you look at mm-hmm. her resume and it's impeccable. You know, she went to Harvard yeah. Law. She worked pretty much every office, you know, in, in terms of justice that she could. And yet people are mm-hmm. still questioning her. Oh, we want to see her LSAT scores. What? Like, why? Right. Because, right. you know, what reason do you want to see? Her? Like, we all know the true reason why they are they have such doubt. But that just goes to show that someone could even go to the best law schools to have the best jobs yeah, and still be yeah. black in America and still be doubted. And it's just yeah. crazy, you, you know, how yeah. hard she had to work to get to where she is. Yet she's still being discounted or looked down upon mm-hmm. by her success mm-hmm. because of the color of her skin. And it, it, it just, I just will never understand it. <sighs> I know. And I know we can talk hours about this too um but let's 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 jump into when you got into let's say third year and fourth year rotations um okay. and you were you were thinking about pathology but then you you encountered other fields who were saying oh no like do this like do another field like you should do pathology like what was the what was your experience with that like when i got to med school uh i you know i joined the pathology interest group i was doing everything on a course to be a forensic pathologist and mind you this is all this is all that i knew about pathology was that forensic pathology i had no i had no idea what surge path was heme path cytopath i didn't know any of that stuff right so um we have lectures continuously and i my when i was in med school it was the old curriculum so we did two years of basic science and then two years of clinical um Mm -hmm. so we would have pathologists come in and teach us disease and we all read you know pathoma and watched the videos and things like that but nobody ever really came and talked to us about what a pathologist did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. would we would look at histology, but no one would ever really talk about like, oh, and the pathologist reads this and they write this report up that the clinicians can see, et cetera. So I didn't really even get more exposure to pathology in the first two years of medical school. And when I would right. tell people that I wanted to do pathology, um, they would say, oh, but you know, you you like talking to people. You're, you know, you're good with people. We see you, right. you know, talking with your classmates and, you know, we like talking to you, but like, why would you want to do something where you waste your social skills? Right. Right. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, I shouldn't, I, sh- I should want to talk to patients all day long. I should want to do that. So 
you know, I'm not going to be a true doctor if, if I'm not at the bedside talking to patients. And I sort of made myself believe that. And then I was going through my, I got to third year. And at this point I had, I had just dissolved the idea of pathology because, you know, I'm a social person, you know, I, I, I'm good with people and all these superficial things that just, you know, didn't matter. Uh, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was, I was doing like a psychiatry rotation, which I really enjoyed. Um, like I said earlier, I was a psychology major, so I had always been interested in psych. Um, and then I did my internal medicine rotation and yeah, I saw the interactions that, you know, our attendings and our residents were having with these patients and it wasn't what I had envisioned or what I had thought I needed to be doing. You know, I envisioned going into the patient's room, sitting down in the chair, talking with them for 20 minutes, talking about their life and things like that. And it just, it just doesn't move like that in academic medicine. It's just like, right. okay, we got, yeah. we have 27 patients on the list. We got around on all of them today. So let's go in. We may talk to them for five or 10 minutes and then we got to go to the next patient and then we got to go write notes. Yeah, so I was yeah, like, yeah. this isn't anything like I envisioned it. You know, I, we are moving too fast. Like I, I, I'm not even getting to ask these patients all the questions I want to ask, but you sort of have to think more rapidly like that. You have to just move on because otherwise you're going to be there, you know, all day. And so that sort of triggered my mind to be like, wait a minute, you know, you need to reconsider pathology because if this is what talking to patients is, then you don't need this, you know, like I'm not knocking anyone in, in any field, but just saying personally, that's not what I thought it was. So when I realized yeah, that, yeah. I decided to uh, switch into a forensic pathology rotation because I hadn't, I, I signed up to not even do a pathology rotation because like I said, I was so sold off of pathology that I was not going to do it. So I had like emergency medicine and anesthesia, I think as my electives in third year. And I switched both of them out and, and mm-hmm. got into forensic pathology. And when I got there, um, it just... It brought back all the feelings that I had, all the enjoyment that I had about learning about pathology, about learning about disease, anatomy, pathophysiology, everything um, was like displayed in this one specialty. And I was like, this is what I've been missing, you know, out of of all my rotations. I think I had done like three or four rotations at that point. And it's like, this is what I was missing, getting back to the root of why things happen. Like, this is why, this is how my brain works. This is what gets me going. Um, So I think it was like two days into the rotation, I sat down with um, the course director. And I was like, you know, I want to do pathology. What do I need to do? And she was like, well, you know, if you want to do pathology, then you need to explore the other parts of pathology. And I was like, Oh, what do you mean? I thought this was, I thought forensic pathology. And she was Uh like, "Uh, no, this is like a micro section Uh of pathology. This is a very small sample size of what the field actually is. So I was like, Oh yeah, really? And so she had me uh, shadow in surge path, shadow heme path, therm paths, basically got me exposed to all the other, you know, aspects of the field. And then that didn't do anything but just reinforce my thought of pathology is what I needed to be doing just because it's so variable. It's such an interesting field. Everyone is so nice. Um, and it's just it's just what I like. You know, there was like the one right. thing that I truly, truly enjoyed doing. I didn't, I was never like, oh, I got to go in today or oh, I got to go talk to these patients. You know, it's like, I wanted mm-hmm. to be, I wanted to be there learning. And, you know, when, when you, when you feel that, like, you know, that, um, that's what you should be doing. And it's not, 
it's not without saying I had to convince, I still had to convince myself to do forensic path or to do pathology. And even my wife, when I told her, I was like, ah, you know, but I'm not going to see patients anymore and things like that. And she yeah, said, yeah, yeah. And this would really make me realize she's like, I've never seen you this happy on one of your rotations. And I was like, wow, you know what? That's, that's very true. Like I've never wanted to go back the next day, but I come home and yeah. all I do is talk about this. Like clearly the world is trying to tell me something. So I just had to say that. <laughs> and, and, once, and once I realized it, and once I confirmed yeah. to myself, and once I sort of, you know, had a, a true self-infliction of Keenan, like, let it go. You want mm-hmm. to be a pathologist. Yeah. Pathology is cool. It's not a weird specialty. You're not a weird person. Once right, I right. Accepted that, <laughs> once I accepted that, <laughs> yeah. let go of all the stereotypes. It was a done deal mm-hmm. for me, and then I was full. I was full force in on uh, from then, from then on. But I still had to deal with, you know, the naysayers talking down on pathology the whole time. Right, for right. The rest of yeah. school, they were like, "Yeah, it's the it, it it's weird. Don't do it." So you know, I just like it was interesting when I um I switched um and. There were people who were like, oh, like, um, like, is that what you would have done? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, so is there like, is there a pathology lab in this hospital? I'm like, yes. But, but, you know, I, I would have to, I, I, for, to their defense, it was basically on a f- like floor that nobody ever went to. So right. it was like, you know, if you if you don't go to the floor, you have no idea like where it's at. Um, and it's kind of sad because like where I'm at right now, it's like kind of hidden even for fellowship. But um, yeah. <laughs> so when people try to find where I'm at, it's like I have to give them like a, this whole like map or you know to to go from there. Um, but now you are a first year uh, pathology, and can you tell us like what it's like? Um, let's say for residents or students, let's say third year students who are thinking about applying to pathology and they're still like wavering. Can you tell us what it's like, like transitioning from being a medical student to being a first year pathology resident? Yeah. So this is one of the tough things about being a medical student in terms of being on a pathology rotation, because it's not like being on an internal medicine rotation where you can go talk to your patients and you can write your notes and you can sort of have this strong contribution to the team. When you're a student and you're and you're rotating in pathology, it's really hard for you to be. I don't want to say the word involved, but it's it's hard to be useful. I'll just say that for lack of a better term, um, mm-hmm. because like if you're shadowing on surge, if you're rotating on surge path, there are not a lot of programs that are going to let you gross the specimens, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that that is a skill that you need to have to learn you know, throughout residency to, to be good at grossing. It's not really something you can just learn by watching. Right. Um, right. And, and, and following the cases and sort of being engaged throughout the whole process, it's hard to do that in two weeks. So I know a lot of rotations, like my pathology rotations were two weeks and it's hard to really get confident in using the microscope or understanding the terminology that you know, we use in pathology, it's, it's just extremely difficult to just grasp that in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So the transition mm-hmm. from med school to being a first year resident is really hard. But the good thing yeah. about pathology is that everyone appreciates that. So nobody expects you to come into residency 
on an attending level or a mid-level, even a mid-level resident. They know that your med school experience was not geared towards you being a great pathologist. You're just learning about the specialty. You're learning the terminology. You're learning how to interact with different um, specialties. So learning the skills of grossing, you know, we had a grossing boot camp when you come to residency. And a lot of programs that I interviewed at do this. And this is one of the questions that all applicants ask is, you know, how do you train your first year residents to learn how to gross? Because you just don't do it in medical school. So yeah, don't be yeah. for the for the third years or fourth years who are wanting to go into pathology. Don't be discouraged that you don't know how to gross because most programs are going to teach you how to gross when you get there because they know that you don't know how to gross. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the same for like looking looking at slides. It's, I mean, it's, it's truly an art form how to navigate the microscope and how to know what you're looking for and how to approach the slide and how to use the history and radiology and all these things to sort of compile yeah. the knowledge and the facts that you need to know before you even look at this at the microscope. Um, mm-hmm. So all of those things that you can't really appreciate in the short amount of time that you have in medical school while you're rotating um, that you'll have to learn how to do as a first year resident. And, you know, it takes a lot of time. This is why, you know, I'm just mentioning search practice because it's, I feel like it's the bulk of pathology residency. But, you know, we do at, at Penn, we do nine or 10 months of search path in the whole residency, yeah, yeah. which is by far the most rotations mm-hmm. that we do as opposed to any other um, field in the special in, in pathology. Mm-hmm. So you just mm-hmm. I've done I've already done two months and I still feel like I don't really know that much like i definitely feel like my grossing skills have improved but my histology skills have a long way to go and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know most most of the upper level residents will tell you you know oh i didn't understand histology until midway through second year or something like that but it's yeah it's the repetition the space repetition and just doing it a lot is is how you truly learn how to be a good you know pathologist in terms of using the microscope yeah yeah so yeah, don't feel discouraged if you don't feel like you know how to do anything as a medical student mm-hmm. because you're going to you're going to be taught how to do it in in your yeah. residency. Okay. And and not only were you a first year or currently first year pathology resident um and a family man, but you were both during the <laughs> pandemic. So <laughs> which was um you know, a lot of for a lot of families trying to navigate between you know, um, the pandemic and work and, you know, raising their kids. Can you give us a little insight about like how you, your, you and your wife um, had, I guess, adjusted to that, unfortunately, especially when you were starting residency throughout during a pandemic and then all that? Yeah. So my first son was born like the second week of med school which was an extremely difficult time in our lives because mm-hmm. uh, I was learning how to be a medical student. Um, we had just moved to this new place. We were all trying to navigate Charleston all together. Um, but my wife was really, really solid in, in sort of holding down the home and you know raising our son. She stayed home with him for, I think, the first two years uh, he was born before he went to daycare. She went back to work. So she really held it down. And then Interestingly, as soon as COVID hit, I was in my third year and it was March of 2020. She um, got a job. She went back to work in like April. So I was at home being like an online medical student and she mm-hmm. went back to work. 
And so, of course, the daycares were closed and things like that. So I was having to do like virtual rotations from home with with our son still at home, too. So I was having to be like a stay at home dad slash medical mm-hmm. student, which was extremely difficult. Um, and I think that was one of the, the downfalls about being a parent in medical school is that a lot of the faculty don't appreciate that sense. So they would be like, oh, you know, since you're not doing anything, log on to mm-hmm. this lecture and watch it for two hours or make these phone calls since you're not doing anything since you're just at home but it was like hey like some of us have children Mm -hmm. who can't go to daycare so we are not just at home you know twiddling our fingers we have to watch these watch our children and my son was two at the time and so he was he was coming up at that age where he was like play with me play with me but i was like at home sitting on my computer trying to watch these lectures trying to study for the shelf exams um so Mm -hmm. that part Mm -hmm. was extremely challenging um but luckily, uh, I only had like two months left of third year before I was free to be a Fortune Med student in, in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, so that, that part was very difficult. Um, and then right. the rest mm-hmm. of fourth year was nice because our school gave us a lot of time off to prepare mm-hmm. for interviews, things like that. And they had us um, take the option of doing a research block. So I ended up, I think, having four four and a half months off in fourth year Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and by that time my son's school had opened back up so he was back in school full-time my wife was working full-time so i was really at home just um preparing for interviews finding places Mm -hmm. to live after a match and things like that so the the second year of the pandemic was much easier for us only because Mm -hmm. um his school opened back up and then my wife was able to continue working and I was able to have that much time off. But um, I know for some of the other cities uh, where stuff really still wasn't open, Mm -hmm. um, they Mm -hmm. probably had a much different experience than I had. So I was lucky enough that, you know, my son was able to go back to school Mm -hmm. and they had a pretty strict uh, COVID policy and he never got sent home. I don't know how, but they never had any breakout cases in our classroom, which was amazing. So mm-hmm. life really That's went good. back to normal for us once he went back to school because there weren't a lot of restrictions um, in okay. Charleston where we were living. Okay. I know it's super early. Are you open to um, everything in pathology now? Yeah. And that's, that's my problem is that yeah. I just like so many different things in the yeah. field and mm-hmm. none of them are related. None of them that's are good. in... <laughs> it's like I can't be more yeah. far on the spectrum of of specialties uh-huh. in in pathology yeah. because I like forensics. Yeah, and I'm on a transfusion medicine rotation right now, and I really like that. And it's like, how do yeah. those two come together? It's just like, right. I don't know if it's possible. And then I also you like, mm-hmm. I like cytopathology. Yeah, I like heme path. I don't know, okay. like. And then it's just like forensics is still here, strong. Like, yeah, yeah. Come to me, but it's like, like, how do I manage all of these different influences? Other ones. But I think it's good that you like everything. I think it's good that you're still at their position where you're still open minded and able to like take in what you're seeing and still be excited about it. I think that's that's great, especially in, in pathology where so many different i guess subspecialties that are around where you can like everything put you like tells us everything still remember whatever regardless of what you do in the future still remember like lessons and stuff that you learned during residency and continue that in your future practice so that's a 
that's a great position to be in, I, I think, personally. I, want to have, I have two last questions to ask you. And um, the first one is, how do you think we can diversify in PATH and pathology and laboratory medicine? Yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for diversifying, just exposing people to the field. Um, because if you ask the majority of medical students what they think about pathology, they're going to tell you, you know, all the things that I dealt with in the beginning of the podcast. And like, they don't talk to people, they're weird, they sit in a basement all day, they only do autopsies, et cetera, et cetera. But that is just not true. Um, It's just, it couldn't be any further from the truth. And I think there's a huge opportunity to to expose medical students to the field, to show them what pathology actually does, to show them what laboratory medicine is. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about making a diagnosis in the hospital, how are you making those diagnoses? You know, are you looking at a CBC? Are you looking at a BMP? Are you looking at, you know, coagulation mm-hmm. times? Like, where do you think this information comes from? It comes from the laboratory and pathology is laboratory medicine. And mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. just don't think about that. They sort of order a BMP or they order a type and screen and it just, you know, they may think that it just goes somewhere and some number spit gets spit out and then it appears on their screen. But there are people that have created these machines that are, you know, quality testing these machines that are making sure these machines are functioning, that are putting the assays together to make this test work. And that's what right. pathologists are, you know, and that's, and that's the thing about pathology. It's not some monolithic, you only look at microscopes. It's just so, it's so huge. The blood bank, blood products, transfusion medicine, microbiology, chemistry, molecular genetics. Like these are all things on the CP side, but still like it's stuff that people don't even think. Like I had no idea about really even before I got, even got to residency because we didn't have any mm-hmm. CP rotations when I was in med school. So I get here and learn about all these CP specialties and I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't even know this was part of pathology. I didn't even, mm-hmm. I never thought about mm-hmm. this. So I think there's a huge opportunity for us to sort of present ourselves early on in, in medical school education to say, this is the field. This is, you know, this is the forefront of medicine. I think I posted something on Twitter a couple months ago when I was reading in a patient's chart and it was a urology note. And it was, it was like, uh, basically we can't make a decision on what we're going to do next until we get the pathology report back. Uh And it's Uh like, how is that not the forefront of medicine? You know, like a decision has to be made from us as pathologists before the patient can even get the proper care. Uh And, Uh you know, this is a cliche statement I heard one time I was invested in like doing my pathology research, but it was like healing starts with a proper diagnosis and you can't have a proper diagnosis for a lung nodule until a, until a pathologist reads it and says, this is adenocarcinoma, this is squamous cell carcinoma, then you can know what you want to do um, in terms of you want to take it out, you want to do chemo, radiation, whatever. But it starts, a lot of this stuff starts with pathology in the lab or on a peripheral blood smear or um, a biopsy. Um, so I think we have to be more vocal about what it is we do as a specialty and I think there are a lot of opportunities to do that. And it's it's weird because I'm on the blood bank now and um, I had a medical student with me this week. And we ha- we do these things where we have to know the histories of patients. So we have to 
either contact the patient in some way or contact the, uh, the clinical team caring for the patient. And he asked me, he was like, okay, how do you find out this information about the last hospital that they were at? And I was like, oh, just call them. And he was like, oh, we're not going to go to their room and ask them the question. And I was like, you know what? We probably could. And that yeah. you know, just, just something that subtle would be more engagement to the field of pathology. Like we could have easily went to their room and said, hey, we're with pathology. We're working in the blood bank. We have some questions for you. Just like any other psychiatry resident or neurology resident would go do if they had a patient on the floor. They wouldn't call them. Mm-hmm. They would go talk to mm-hmm. them. And I think um, some of the the things that are set in stone in pathology is that like we're sort of behind the curtain. But I think there's definitely an opportunity for us to come come from behind the curtain and, and expose ourselves and and introduce ourselves to patients and, and talk to them because, you know, we're caring for them, too. We're, we're not just sort of passing the ball along like we need to know information mm-hmm. to help them get the right blood products that they need. So they need to be aware of us, too, you know, to know that they have people advocating mm-hmm. for them um, when they necessarily wouldn't think about pathology. So um, I think that is one of the biggest things that we can do as a specialty to sort of make us stand out and make us not seem like some black box, weird, you know, egocentric specialty. And like, we're, we are normal people just like anyone else. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think just making science cool again, because pathology is a very, science heavy specialty um and Mm -hmm. in terms of diversifying i think we can get out to you know local high schools and show them like science is cool like pathology is cool you can do it you know you don't have to be a surgeon you don't have to be uh, a cardiologist or whatever like you can be a pathologist and have a really cool job and still Mm -hmm. make a really big impact on patient care Mm -hmm. and then the last question is how can listeners follow you on social media um, to see how your career flourishes. Yeah. So um, I am on LinkedIn, Keenan Smith, uh, no A's, K-E-E-N-E-N. And then my Twitter is at KD Smith Med. So that's KD Smith M-E-D. Um, I also have Instagram. It's KD underscore Smith, but that I really don't do anything in terms of my career on Instagram. That's mainly just pictures of food and my children. <laughs> so if, you're interested in, if you're interested in seeing that, then follow me on Instagram. But my uh, my professional pages are LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Okay. And do you have any final words for the audience before we head off? Um. Yeah, just basically... You know, everyone I've interacted with in this field has been genuinely welcoming, and I'm glad that I joined this pathology community. And I implore anyone who's listening to this, who's even considering pathology, to just do a rotation, just or just shadow for like two days, and just see what the specialty is about. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that we do at Penn is our anesthesia residents at Penn shadow in or uh, they rotate. They do two weeks in the blood bank, just so they can appreciate too what it is that we do in pathology because. There are situations where in the past um, somebody will order blood before a surgery and they have a com- the patient has a complex antibody profile and, you know, it's going to take a couple hours to get the blood. But they're like, what do you mean? Like, you're the blood bank. You should have the blood. But they don't understand we have to do a cross match. We have to find the units if they have, you know, an anti-JKA or something, uh, some mm-hmm. rare antibody. 
Um, and it's not mm-hmm. just, okay, you want blood, here it is. You know, it takes time for us to do our workup, just like it would be for any other specialty. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, if even if you're not, if you know you're not going to pathology, you're going into surgery, you're going into internal medicine, still try to understand what pathology is so you can understand sort of the whole aspect of, of how things happen when you submit, right. when you order a BMP or you order a, a stain or a gram stain or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so just, just try to get to know the field. Like pathology is very interesting and yeah. um, it's very important. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate uh, your time and your story. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad that we uh, were able to coordinate this and, and talk. <laughs> I've, I really enjoy the podcast. So I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Hi again, friends. Well, this is it for today's episode. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to the diversified math podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode and then hope to see you soon.